when you're a kid, you look at every single adult as an authority. You are the ones that my kid eyes look at and say, you know, basically everything and, and are relatively infallible. There's not a single point you become an adult. Yes, I'm your kid, but I'm not your child anymore. We used to be kids. Now we're not. Something happened in between. This is the Broken Youth Club. was listening to last week's episode like after I edited it and I was listening to the part where I talked about my aunt Kim mm-hmm. and just realized like I didn't I totally didn't mean to but I like just kind of glossed over it because I, I said something to the effect of like I remember not being sad right away mm-hmm. that she had died but I didn't get to the fact that like I was super super sad and I just yeah. needed to like clear that air because you had gone on to talk about your grandma yeah <clears throat> and I wanted to take the opportunity to mention, like, my Aunt Kim was like, from my understanding and my recollection of her and the stories that other people tell, she was just a saint mm-hmm. and an angel, just very musically inclined, just such a sweetheart. To She worked at the school. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of clear yeah. the air a little bit to say that, like, as a kid, yeah, I remember feeling... Like, I don't know when's this supposed to sink in that I'm sad, Yeah, but it definitely did, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and you were so close with um, your, one of your cousins that was, it was her mom because your guys' birthdays are super close. 10 days and, apart. Yeah. yeah so I'm 10 you days would, older than her. So y'all would spend a lot of time together and actually like my bestie um, also used to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. over there because her mom was really good friends with your aunt Kim. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, obviously I never knew her or met her, but I know your cousin yeah. and uh, I know my friend and her mom. And uh, I always just heard like really, really lovely things about her. I always remember after she was gone, I, I for a long time, I had this pretty extreme guilt because there was always this game that she would like to play with me where she wanted to like give me a kiss and then and I would like run away and mm-hmm. not accept the kiss. And so it was this playful thing for sure, but I, I, after she died, I remember feeling this guilt of like, I should have just let her kiss me, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But yeah, I was just kind of thinking on that again Yeah, uh, a couple times. I always feel a little teary every time that uh, her birthday comes and your dad and your uncle Steve make a post about her. And yeah. I feel like your dad calls her um, like golden sister or something. Sister golden hair. Or sister golden hair. I think hair, it's a yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that it was a song, but yeah. I just thought. I was talk- your dad's not always like the most emotional dude, but whenever I see those things, I'm just like, oh, it's just like so sweet and so yeah. sad and like so special that they continue to make sure to like publicly remember her every year on her oh, birthday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and he has sweet. a, if I'm not mistaken, a, a tattoo yeah. uh, in dedication to her as mm-hmm. well. So, yeah, great person. I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to yeah. gloss over that and that, like just that be it. Yeah. I wanted to touch back on the episode too because, um, I mean, I was like really going through it there at the beginning uh, before we started talking about the death stuff. And um, first, I want to I want to say I was, uh, you know, recommended by my doctor to take like the extra 
Wellbutrin pill. And I think that like really was fucking with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that like the side effect that I could feel would be anxious, like more anxious. Okay. Uh, and that definitely was happening with me. So after like, man, I think five or six days of taking three pills instead of the two that I originally was prescribed, I went back to just taking the two mm-hmm. and I feel way better. I mean, I was just like so upset for <laughs> such a long time. Yeah, it wasn't that that period was a little rough. Oh, it was awful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I wanted to recognize that like there were a lot of people that reached out to me either like texting or DMing me, um, being like so sweet mm-hmm. about the episode and like saying all these really nice things to me. And a lot of the people that sent something in, I didn't respond to. Uh, because I felt this weird, like, embarrassment in a way that I haven't felt embarrassed about anything I've done on the show up to this point, really. Um, but I just felt like I was just in, like, such an emotional state. And I just felt, like, so raw in that episode. And sometimes it's weird. We've talked about this before, and we talked about it a lot at camp when we were talking with people. Because, like, I don't I don't know any real raw things about a lot of people that um, will reach out to me and like comfort me. And so it feels this very like, um, like very vulnerable. Like, you know, so much about me and you have heard me in this like super vulnerable and like, yeah, just empty space. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't mean to ignore anybody. I saw the messages. I thought they were so sweet. Um, And like even your sister sent me a really, really, really sweet long text on Tuesday. And it took me until literally this morning to respond to it because I just felt like I was also like after that. I don't know if it was such a big emotional release during the recording or what, but then it felt like all last week, even though mentally I felt better, like starting yesterday, maybe (laughs) um, I felt really disconnected from my body like all week. Like my brain was in one place and my body was in another and I could not figure out how to make them like exist together. Yeah. Um, so I just felt like I was in this like foggy, empty, kind of icky, but also kind of just like mm. very apathetic uh, state. Yeah. And so I just felt like I, I didn't know what to say back to people because they were being sure. so sweet. Yeah. And I felt like I didn't even have the capacity to like, respond in the thoughtful way that i typically want to respond yeah you know like fe- i think the fear is always under responding yeah or at least like, mine is I'm like thanks yeah. <laughs> like people being like oh glad i poured that out for you yeah, yeah yeah in the same way that i feel like i let myself get a little behind in emails because it felt like i was in this from you know right before that period through i felt like i'm not in the headspace to give people like the attention and the responses that they deserve in these emails yeah, right So I just wasn't like, I was just letting them sit. I wasn't reading them to then like ignore it. I just was like, okay, I need to tackle this when I'm in a headspace to do it. Um, And so then I sat down yesterday. I felt good enough to like sit down and really start getting through them. Yeah. Um, I almost cleared it out. I think there's four or five in there um, that I need to get to. But but yeah, I just wanted to touch on like, I saw the messages. They were so sweet. They were so appreciated. I just like was not in a mental place and that's okay to like process and respond what do you think um you said you were embarrassed what do you think like if you could isolate 
the core of embarrassment. What do you think that is? Because I understand it too. You know, there are times where I'll feel embarrassed for certain things. Yeah. But I'm curious, yeah, on this specific episode I think or this specific moment, do you think it was in conjunction with the medicine or do you think it was a... I think that it was, um, I mean, I know I've cried in like mm, a lot of episodes, <laughs> but I think that I haven't cried that hard in an episode since like the first one mm. and, or maybe like the pilot in the first one. Um, and I think it might just tie back into that kind of like toxic idea of like sounding like a crybaby. Yeah. And so I felt like, God, dude, like I cried so hard and like could not actually control myself well i know and so it felt this like embarrassing like i'm supposed to do this in my bedroom into my pillow and not on like a public platform where people can hear me like that so yeah well that's good thing what we're here for but that's part of the point of this so at least you have that yeah you're not just breaking down on yeah (laughs) but like in the same way that when we first started doing this and even now but especially when we first started a lot of people were like how are you doing this? How are you going on and being so open and so raw? And it felt like in the beginning, it was because like, we just feel like we have to, mm-hmm. like, it's like a, a way for us to lift some weight off. Um, but this last episode was one of those moments where it was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm doing it. Cause I don't, it didn't feel good yeah. last week. Mm. And other times whenever I have cried or had like a big response, I feel like there's this uh, unloading or this like cleansing mm. afterwards. And instead last week, I just felt like really sad mm. and really big emotions. And then I felt nothing for like five days. Mm. And it wasn't like the nothing I feel when I'm like depressed, but like maybe I felt like I was literally just in like a hole after that mm. for a handful of days. It was like, um, I am literally in a hole and I'm looking up and I'm watching the world go by and people are shouting nice things down to me, but I cannot get out of here. I'm just stuck in this space of empty processing, I guess. I'm glad you're feeling better. Um, Shit. Me too. (laughs) You definitely, I can see a difference over the last few days. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I could like, pick up some shit around the house it wasn't like you would come home and there was like yeah you know everything on the floor all at once <laughs> but when it is though i'm but, still yeah you the are, thing i think also is we are those people who when guests come over i'm very pick up make sure it looks like it's ready to be photographed in a magazine yeah that's how i get but i also you know i know the people who actually know us know that at times, yeah, our house can get fucking trashed. We, we have very three much, kids. We very much live in yeah. this house. It's not a house yeah. that is set up for visitors at any moment. I need I need 24 to 48 hours, yeah. preferably 48 yeah. and before I, anybody I comes over. I don't look. <laughs> I feel like there's always this feeling of like, oh, no, we're faking it for people. Like we're faking that like, oh, yeah, totally. We're clean all the time. Like, no. <laughs> No, the way I look at it is like, no, we're just presenting ourselves for you while you're here. <laughs> yeah. Just give us grace if you see something tucked over here or whatever. Yeah. But um, I say that just because I know there is this weird, almost like a keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality when it comes to like, yeah, presenting your space to people yeah. and making sure that it's like um, 
yeah, like uh, branded almost. <laughs> like yeah. this has to look like an Instagram post or else it's not worthy. Yeah. And so I just say that to let people know that we are like, we are fucking slobs when the camera, oh. you know, when like. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, I mean, as a fan, like yeah. the kids, like there's food everywhere all the time. Like the, the, we're picking up trash or <laughs> the kids have dropped a cookie on the floor here or it's underneath a pillow, whatever. Yeah. Having kids is like, that's our season. And we're, we're I, I don't know. I'm. I don't think we'll ever be the people who are pristine everything all the time. But yeah. maybe when the kids get a little bit older, we'll settle back in because it, it really is just messes that compound on messes. And then you get in these states where you're not having a good mental health day mm-hmm. or mental health week or month, and you just kind of do the best that you can do. And then we will have these spurts where we have. Six hours on a Saturday where we can, okay, let's get caught up on X, Y, and Z. And then we just kind of keep going that way. I mean, I say slob. We're not actually, like, we don't live in (laughs) If we see a cookie on the floor, we pick it up. We're just saying that sometimes there are cookies on the floor. Anybody who has kids (laughs) knows exactly where I'm coming from. They know we better pretend a little bit when people come over to to let them know we're not as messy as we actually are. Newsflash. Most people are actually probably messy if they have kids. I almost guarantee it. Yeah. So don't beat yourself up if you're a parent and you're always worried about you too. You're always just worried about keeping up with the laundry list of tasks that continually rotates. Not even just every day, but like three times a day you're cleaning cleaning up food messes and yeah. you're having to do laundry every fucking. Yeah, it's just that's part of it. Yeah. I remember calling my mom last year um, and being so pissed because <laughs> the first six months of last year, I did not eat a single thing out of the house. Like I made myself breakfast, made myself lunch, made myself dinner. And I was making like fancy lunches. I was making like fish and asparagus and mushrooms and like all the things. Yeah. But in doing that, I'm like, I literally have to do the dishes three times each day. And that's infuriating yeah. because it's also already a lot of work just to make those meals. And like, I would love to get back to that place, but I'm like, I don't, I'm, I have not mentally been in the place this year to do the dishes three times a day. Most times I'll do them one time a day and it's in the morning after all of the dishes from the day before have gathered and sat. Like, I just can't freaking do it right now feels like there's just truly that there's just not enough time in the day and there's not enough time in the week. And I feel like just overall, the, the way we live our lives and the, the amount of work to home life ratio that just us in ge- humans in general seem to have. Yeah, it's just never enough time to s- like s- sit in your space or be in your space. Because by the time, at least for me, I feel like I can, oh, I'm starting to enjoy this. It's like. Boom, got to get right back to it. Yeah. Or if you're always on the train and there's never a, a moment to jump off, you're just always going. And that for me, I think is the thing where I've always struggled with getting out of the mindset of, um, I don't, I've always had, you know, side hustles, a, a business mentality of trying to monetize this or that, or, or always looking to the next project or something like that. Yeah. And for me, I, I just always like, I try to, I, I don't even try. I'm, I'm stuck in that mode always. And it's like, I don't have time for that because I have to do this. Right. And I don't consciously do it, but I always shuffle 
certain things like that to the bottom. Yeah. Because getting this done is more important. I'll get to the dishes tomorrow. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's a constant problem for someone like me. And I'm sure millions <laughs> of other people who are not like me. <laughs> yeah. It's just a human thing. <laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> Steven. Um, a side note before, we were going to read an email today, but before okay. we do... I need to say this because I keep thinking it in my brain. I bought this um, this new blanket for anybody that's oh, watching. Yeah. I got this blanket from a mm. vintage market that we just happened upon today. It is um, a 1988 Ninja Turtles yeah. comforter. But I want to bring it up specifically because, you know, like kids comforters nowadays, it's like this comforter material on the top and the bottom. Okay. Like all the way around. Yeah. This is like back oh, when they yeah, put yeah. like... Mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. It's a fleece, like a pilled fleece of some kind. Yo, my feet are so warm right now. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. usually with the kids' like the comforters, yeah, usually with the kids' comforters now, I have to like cocoon my feet mm-hmm. into yeah. the blanket to get warm. This is lovely. And it's held up really well. And it's incredible. Very I'm nice. so excited Good about find. it. Good find. Thank you. I also got these other really cool things, but we're going to save it for social media posts because it's oh, yeah, yeah. so freaking cute. I cannot <laughs> believe I found them. I'm so yeah, excited. And at a good price too. And like so affordable. Okay, I won't blow it. I won't blow it. It was the best vintage market <laughs> I've been to in a really long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, do you are you ready? Do you are you ready for Yeah, let's go into it. Okay, great. My story started out bad from the beginning. My first memories are of my mother abandoning me to go be with a fisherman and work for him. So this is Maine in the 90s. My first memories are moving constantly from ghetto to ghetto. I never got to make friends. We always left. My dad was always addicted to drugs. Even as a little kid, I can remember I played with his fishing pole, got my finger caught in the hook, and somehow wedged myself underneath the stove and cried until I passed out. Meanwhile, my dad is on the couch, high. So my mother leaves after he starts robbing people for drugs and people entered our home trying to find him. So we end up up living in the family trailer where parties always occurring, fighting, people leaving, and seeing no real stability. The walls covered in particle board because no one bothered. Holes were always being made. Everyone... Everyone left me to go steal and rob people to get their fix, and the rest of the men would either be coming home from prison or heading there, so this was considered normal for me. Fast forward to only five years old, my mother meets my sister's father and decides to come back for me. My fondest memory of her return was this guy smashing my toys in in half over me for being a naughty child not listening. Then my sister's born and is treated like a queen, which every child deserves. Meanwhile, I'm met with hostility and negative words like, quote, you'll never, you'll end up just like your father at this rate. Things like that. So I believe them. My dad returns home from prison. I get to meet my godfather and his kids. Me and Marcus end up being the best of friends, the closest I've ever been to anyone. So we end up becoming some evil kids, smoking wherever we got the chance, stealing to get food so we didn't feel that hunger, getting kicked out of house after house just going all out. Well, good things come to an end. We ended up moving up after the hundredth time. Eventually, I started getting to see my father sober for the first time, kind of. He still drank and smoked weed, so that was con- but that was considered tame. I'm about nine at this point. So I start stealing drinks and smokes when no one notices. 
or they did notice and didn't care. One night, two people, male and female, enter my room and proceed to do atrocious things, touching me, making me touch them. I'm not going to continue with details, but that turned on a switch in me. I wanted to hurt people. I wanted to die. I wanted to create chaos to destroy anything good. So for the next few years, I did just what I wanted. By 12, I'm secretly stealing and also being given oxys every day by the same friend. So not good. By high school, I'm in gang activity, selling fake drugs to anyone in the school, playing with guns, trying to escape the place I'm at because the cops just bring me to my mom, which is miles from Marcus or any of my friends. Then a life-changing event happens. My dad is murdered. 2008, he's stabbed to death in Kentucky Park. People are out there all night, and no one says a thing to police. So I stay away from the area, afraid they'll come for me. Well, Marcus is upset about this, amongst other things. Just months later, he overdosed on whatever drugs he took. So I buried everyone I cared for within a year. Now I'm having an even bigger spiral. I'm meeting suicide in a whole different way. So I attempted and attempted and attempted, and one more time to end it. But there was a silver lining. I wanted to stop all of this. I quit talking to everyone. I quit drugs. I hit a wall. I even tried to go back to school, but with my problems and many other factors, I wasn't able to. School didn't care. I was just another problem kid. So I got a job lobstering. Some of the hardest work you can do, but it came with a price. I thought I needed drugs to get me through it, so I kept abusing Suboxone. For many years, I hid from my problems, got married, divorced by 21, just ignored everything about me. One day, I just I just stopped. I quit my job, and I stayed in my room and got sober. Started working out. Things got better. Even went back to fishing and stayed sober, but still ignoring myself. Now at 26, I have my son. Things are still rocky, but I'm providing. When my second son is born into the world, which scared the hell out of me because of so many reasons, we start seeing unusual things with him. He doesn't look at us, doesn't engage with toys, and rarely li- rarely giggles. Fast forward to three, and he's not meeting any markers. He isn't speaking, so you can guess it. We find out he's autistic, which scared me even more. Mom and me are fighting over money, the kids, and our living situation. What do we do if we have to care for him our entire lives, and so on? Through all of these things happening, there is a shining light. Because I see so many traits my son has, and constant reading about autism and other things, I start to put the pieces together and finally see about my own mental health for the kids. My first visit, I find out I have ADHD, CPTSD, Mm -hmm. and chronic depression. Many months later, I get the diagnosis that I'm also autistic. Many of my symptoms and attributes went ignored for so many years, just like many other things going on through life undiagnosed. The constant depression, the night terrors since childhood, the suicidal ideations, the drug use, the relationship problems, all started to make sense. So for years now, I've been trying to, I've been struggling trying to figure out why I'm empty inside. Why do I not allow myself to feel any happiness or anything other than bad feelings? It, it's something I still haven't gotten through, mostly because of resentment, jealousy, and anger. <clears throat> now today I'm still struggling. It's practically why I'm writing this, to get it off my chest, because I have no one. I have no friends. 
I've had no friends for decades now. My relationship with my kid's mother of seven years is over. The relationship with my mother is broken beyond all measure. Everyone I've ever loved is dead and gone. My car's broken down, just lost another job because of ignorant reasons. The trailer I own is falling apart. I don't feel I don't feel like I have time to continue sorting out my what <clears throat> I don't feel like I have time to continue sorting out my feelings like yesterday's diagnosis. And now I take care of my kids weekdays, so finding work out here is tough. I don't know what to do. I've tried medications, which all make me feel worse. I'm stuck. Maybe writing this and sharing it might help for a little while. I'm not sure. Still here, though, and I'm trying for these two. I'll never give up, but every day it feels like I'm not doing enough for them and have no time to work through all my problems. Anyway, thanks for reading this if you did. I know it's a lot. That's my story, and maybe if anyone sees my story, they might be able to relate and not feel so alone in this world. Any feedback or critique or just advice would be appreciated. Love you guys. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Bless. And um, sorry, I was sniffling. I actually made me cry a little bit. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. I would say if you're listening, um, I'm I'm just, damn it. <laughs> um, I'm proud that you have gotten clean. Yeah. And I don't. I know you're still struggling. Um. I've never struggled with like hard drugs or anything like that. My struggles have been alcohol, but um, to have the story you have and be able to still persevere through that and whether you did it for yourself or you did it for your kid, um, it is such a commendable thing. That, to me, it's one of the hardest things to do is mm-hmm. you're, you're, tr- you're manually trying to change your brain chemistry. And, um, yeah, it's such a, it's a strong thing. And I'm proud of you that you, you have done that and you're continuing to do that. And even in spite of it being currently dark, you're, you're, com- you're you seem committed to, to change. Um, and even when you're feeling hopeless and yeah, stuck that, is it even worth it? Or how long do I continue to do this? Um, just another day. That's all that was, was always for me. Just we'll see how I feel tomorrow, Mm -hmm. you know, and to continue making those to, to, to try. And it sounds like you're trying and, um, you know, I'm I'm both happy and sad for your diagnosis. I'm I'm sad that it is a confirmation of something maybe you had negative feelings on. However, um now that is something you can do with. That is information you can take and okay, so now I can approach my life at this angle. Yeah. Because if I'm being honest, you know, again, I want to be very careful about self diagnosis. But I've always, I've I've suspected for a while that I am on the spectrum somewhere, right. and my last doctor recommended I go get tested at this place here. I just 
I also have ADHD, so yeah. maybe that explains why I haven't gone <laughs> yeah. to do it. But um, I'm I was in a boat with that. I still am. Where I'm weighing, do I go get the test and find out whether or not I where I fall? How much will that change my perspective and how I approach things? Because yeah. because I have um, known of my ADHD diagnosis since I was a kid. So, um, but yeah, man, I, I, that's such a hard story. Yeah. And to be put in such a vulnerable position as a child to be a runner for adults, um, man, I, I had, I don't, I don't have any personal experience with anything that gnarly, I would say. Yeah. But I do have. You know, I grew up in Greene County, Indiana. That is a backwoods Indiana place where drugs and crime run rampant. And so a lot of my friends from school, you know, as you grow up, you see the clues that, oh, you know, maybe their parents aren't into the the best things or maybe even them themselves once they hit middle school or high school are starting to dip their toes into not some good things. Mm-hmm. And it's... um. I could I could go on. Go ahead. Sorry. No, um, I think everything you're saying is fine. I um, I think for me, like when I read those things, um, because we get a lot of like really heavy, sad stories where people, you know, a lot of stories come in and people are like, but you know, I've been in this really good place in this way, or like yeah. there is this light. Uh, there are some though that haven't gotten to that point yet. And I yeah. always really commend anyone that writes in, but especially the people that are still actively in that really dark place. Yeah. Because like the amount of uh of introspective like work that you're able to do when you're in that vulnerable space, I think it's just like really powerful. It's a way for you to just like for you to be able to calm all the storms that are happening in you and be like, what is going on? Like and really do that work. I I hope it gives a little bit of like comfort and direction yeah. and moving forward. Um, but yeah, man, I read that one and I, uh, it was one of the first ones that we got that I felt really like, oh my God, I hope I handle this right. I hope yeah. I respond to this correct yeah. because the last thing I want to do is, is hurt this dude or say the wrong thing. But some people it's like you've been through some shit you know and like the way that that trauma then affects your body and the way that your brain works Mm -hmm. the rest of your life it's like i think that's where it's been so powerful for us to talk about that stuff because i think that talking about it yeah helps heal that a little bit or helps well that's where i was struggling you know because at the end there was a call for maybe some advice or whatever and yeah I would, again, I want to be careful, not professional. I don't have professional advice. This is just friendly human advice. But yeah, for me, yeah, I've, I've said this from the from the get. The important thing for me was being able to talk to you. Yeah, have someone to open the floodgates to and feel comfortable. And but in saying that, if I didn't have you, I don't know what I would do. Yeah, I truly, I truly don't. So I yeah. don't, I don't have genuine. I've been there advice. The only thing I can say is if I had to put myself in those shoes, if I didn't have you and I finally needed to just, mm, 
and yeah. I don't have a friend group. I my first Google search, I think, would be looking for some sort of actual support group. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, a place that actually does meetings like a, an NA or an AA, something along those lines. I don't know. I'm sure yeah. something may exist or um, or an SA survivor, you know, yeah. some sort of tangential group where you can at least talk to people who are also struggling, maybe not with your exact type of struggle. You know, maybe yeah. somebody's struggling with drugs or depression, but someone else is struggling with, you know, sexual assault or whatever. Um, if there are people gathering to heal, yeah, I would, I, that would be my first thing to, is to, if I felt like my back was against a wall, yeah. I would be looking for a purposeful community that is gathering for the purpose to heal. Well, and I love that you said that because my immediate thought, and I think I said it to him in this response was, if you're not in the Facebook group, please get in there because yes, please. For us, that was one of the biggest motivators for us in starting this podcast. It wasn't just about us talking and hoping that people are connecting, but also creating a space for people that don't have somebody that they can talk to in their real life or maybe yeah. aren't comfortable with the idea of going to an in-person meeting. Sure. But they just need yeah. to have a community of people that also are willing to see you and hear you and mm -hmm. be there for you. Mm -hmm. The amount of times that like people will make a post in the group and immediately be flooded with comments of like, please talk to me in the DM if you need yeah. to. Like I'm, we, we see you. We're happy you're here. We're listening. Like, yeah. uh, and knowing that the group will grow in that way. Um, I just, that's the part about this that makes it so worth it to mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Even when we have episodes like last week that are especially heavy or hard for me. Yeah. It's like, I just, I just want this this guy. If you don't, if you feel like you don't have anybody yeah. in your life that you can talk to, and so you're reaching out in this email, like I hope, I hope, I hope that you have gotten yourself into the Facebook group mm -hmm. because I can immediately think of like a couple dozen people in that group that would scoop you up so fast mm -hmm. because that shit is like. It's it's not a thing you can carry on your own. Mm. And when he talked about like being in school and being really mad. And so then it kind of turned into this like scenario where uh, the schools didn't want to help because he was just like a problem child or like, yeah. I don't remember if he specifically said that he was like getting into physical fights um, or not. But I, I always just think back to like when he was talking about being really mad and acting out in school. I can, I, can I would see it. I would imagine sure. it. But if he but if he didn't, it made me immediately think of the kids that we did go to school with mm -hmm. that would have these these things. And even in school, I would look at a lot of people and I'd be like, listen, man, I get mad at people, but when you get to the level and seemingly so fast for some kids of like physical violence, yeah. I'm gonna hit you in your face and I'm not gonna feel bad about it. Or like I feel like for a while there in high school, we had this string of like, it was the same four or five girls, but they would like bloody each other Yo, up. It yeah. was like insanity. And at the time I'm looking at it and I'm like, dude, you're mad. Like, I don't know. I don't even know what someone would have to do to get me to that place. But now as an adult, mm. it's like, well, what was going on? 
something had to have been going on because yeah. that's not yeah that's not a normal thing to have that much anger in you as mm -hmm. such a little kid yeah i i would love those are the people that honestly i would love to hear from yeah um you know there's a you say that and i immediately i have a memory of you know cell phones were becoming a thing in school yeah and i feel like the hot commodity was who had the newest like fight video that was getting yeah. passed around or whatever mm -hmm. and i remember you know just being a dumb kid or whatever just instinctively being like oh good angle and a fight broke out and i was just like right in the right spot and i had whipped out my phone and i got just like the perfect angle and uh Again, it was just like an instinct. Like everybody, that's what you do yeah. at that time. You just, you you have to document this. So I did. And I remember uh, showing it to, you know, just a couple of buddies. Because again, I didn't have this huge friend group. Like I wasn't some, you know, obviously, nerd. I had no <laughs> no network of people to be like, you see Logan's new video? You know. Yeah. But I texted to a, a, a buddy or showed him whatever. And then that got around. And I remember that being like, for like the day, like, my video was this like hot fight video. And I just like looking back on that, it is so weird. I wonder if that still exists with kids these days. If like fight videos in school are still uh, as much of yeah. a thing, but I feel like they're for a, at least a little bit. It was like every week there was like, who's got the newest fight video? Yeah. Well, I don't remember if I talked about this on an episode that we released or not. I don't think that we did. But if we did, you're going to listen to it again. <laughs> um, but I remember one of the very first days of me as a seventh grader coming into middle school, because that's when we start middle school in Indiana's seventh grade. I remember coming in and I mean, this is within the first week of school and these two girls, an eighth grader and a seventh grade girl that got into this insane fight, mm -hmm. like right before school started, but we were like in the locker bay. Mm hmm. And this girl was wailing on this other one and they were yanking each other's hair and like there was blood flying everywhere. And there was like easily 60 or 70 kids circled around them at that point yeah. watching. Yeah. And like there were a handful of teachers mm -hmm. that were like watching and waited until one of the girls got hit so hard that she like went down on the ground and she ended up like mm. her fucking nose got broken. And then that was the point where like teachers finally stepped in yeah. and broke it up. But it's like, I look back at that stuff and similar to what this guy said about, you know, the school didn't care. I was just a problem kid. It's like, we reacted the way that we, we reacted because we were kids. Right. But I cannot put myself in this place of being an adult mm. and witnessing this shit and then calling that kid's parent and being like, yo, your kid's a fucking problem. Like, it's not that little kid's fault. Why Why isn't it more normal for a principal to call in parents yeah. and be like, what the fuck's going on at home? Yeah. Or what what's happening with this kid? What? Because this isn't normal behavior. I know we have, obviously, a handful of teachers who listen. So I would be curious if anybody wants to write in like what your perspective is as an educator. Yeah. Having kids come through, you know, uh, whether we're talking about like elementary kids or middle school kids or even high school kids. Like how often is there a correlation between, 
you know, having a, a um, chronically uh, problematic kid in class every day, every week, whatever it is. Uh, and and how does that trans correlate to a something maybe going on at home or the yeah. school is aware of this kid needs some extra attention or something yeah. or, or versus how often is it where it is? Well, that kid's just a fucking dickhead. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I, I feel like man, I don't know. I, I know. I don't know. And I mean, I feel I could, like you could always not always, but I feel like more often than not, my gut would say, yeah, you can trace that back to some traumatic stuff in that kid's yeah. early life. I just think that like, I mean, our kids can be little dickheads right now. Like they can be little jerks for sure. But yeah, our but kids not... never lack empathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think when you get to this place of this kid is clearly so pissed that they don't even seem to feel bad yeah. for hurting this other person. Yeah. Like that's either a medical issue where like they need to be medicated because something is not right in their head or something is happening. They're witnessing yeah. something. Something is happening directly to Who them. Who or what has hurt you. And like, yeah. I do want to be clear. I don't think that teachers should be handling this because they don't get paid like that. No, I was just Administrators yeah. make the money yeah. to handle that. Sure. And they should because it's not fair that it feels like a lot of times I hear about teachers that do take that on and try to talk to a parent and then a parent mm. can get really defensive and then a teacher has to deal with a parent being fucking mean to them. Well, I can and imagine as a teacher when you feel on one hand, you feel responsible for the education and well-being of this kid. Yeah. But then you have to separate. But I'm not the parent. So, like, how do you balance that razor of su supporting and wanting to help? But also, like, it's n there are areas where it's not necessarily your job or responsibility yeah which i mean yes i i absolutely believe that teachers are not responsible for parenting kids yeah i do think that there should be a a baseline expectation that teachers are um giving examples and really discussing with mm -hmm. kids the importance of things like empathy or responsibility or these kind of like core trait values it doesn't mean that you have to say uh, this behavior is wrong because the Bible says so, or this, you know, it's like there is that just yeah. general, Hey, you should fucking have empathy for people. Yeah. You know, you should recognize sure. if somebody's having a hard time, that's fucking sad. That's a bummer for them. And you should be a little more gentle with mm -hmm. them. Or like, I don't know, like if you do something wrong, you don't need to feel embarrassed that you did it. You need to just own up to it and then move on. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times, like, with our kids right now, we're witnessing a lot of like, they'll do something. We're immediately like, hey, yeah, you don't do that. Corrective action. Yeah. And especially the two bigs, because I think they're at that place of having those reactions. They both immediately seem to like cry Bigger and, almost, and almost feel this like embarrassment of, well, I didn't mean to do that or whatever. And it's like, no, that's fine. If you didn't mean to do that, I don't think you meant mm -hmm. to do that. I don't think you meant to hurt your brother. I don't think that you meant to hurt feelings, but like you did. So you should just say you're sorry. Recognize you need that, to yeah. own it. And it's like, I do think that there is this general, yeah, that because kids aren't learning that at home. Yeah. Teachers making sure that they're seeing that in school or that they're being shown constant examples of that at school 
is how we're going to get more thoughtful adults. Yeah. You know, like we can't just say, well, we can't parent them. So we're, they're just going to be awful and we're going to send them to the principal's office and then they're going to go home because we can't, you know, it's like, well, we could do a whole series on how I feel about the American education system <laughs> and how I want to change that <laughs> all that. But, um, but yeah, to tie it all back to the email, I think that, yeah, for me, it's like I can look back at a lot of shit that we did as kids mm-hmm. and ways that we reacted to things as kids and feel this like initial just like, oh, my God, that's fucking terrible that we did that stuff or we laughed at those things or we made those jokes. But we were kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you remember adults also like borderline condoning that kind of behavior or ignoring it to the point where you are like, um, uh, oh, what is it called when you're like you're an accomplice to mm-hmm. the you're like a a silent accomplice because yeah. you're not stepping in. Yeah, I don't understand that with adults. Yeah, and I think that that's where also sometimes I struggle with like looking back at ways that like my parents did stuff or your parents did stuff, and it's like again I can think about you know, we were kids and we were acting like kids, but our parents were adults. And like, how did they not feel that that was wrong, that they did this thing this way, or they said this shit, or they disciplined us this way? Like, how did that never hit? And there are big grown adult brains that like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. I shouldn't do this. You know what I mean? Well, and I think the thing about that too, yes, I always try to keep this in check. Because the thing I fear is the kids getting older and saying the same thing about us. Why did we do X, Y, Z? And and I think in talking like this and keeping uh, um, always calibrating mm-hmm. and, and trying to do the right thing. Yeah. Knowing that we won't do all the right things. Yeah. I think it's for me, it's about minimizing how many of those things our kids can bring to us. I know that we're going to fuck up. I I I already have. (laughs) I know there are moments where I am like not my best self. Okay. I'm, I've been depressed. All right. I'm fucking doing the best I can right now, which isn't, which isn't good enough sometimes. And that's the thing where it's like, we have both experienced this with our parents where we bring up something we didn't like and they immediately come back at us with, but we did this and we did this and we did this. What are you talking about? And it's yeah. like, well, yes, you did do all of those great things, but I'm talking about this thing that you did very wrong. Mm-hmm. And where I hope you and I are different is I hope that our kids can come to us and say that, hey, I like didn't feel really supported in this or hey, like yeah. when you were going through it, it was really hard to be in the house with you. Mm-hmm. Like I would hope that I would be able to say like, you're right. I'm really sorry. Yeah. I was doing my best, but I can also recognize that in those moments, my best wasn't good enough mm-hmm. because we've both heard our parents say, well, we were doing our best. We yeah. we were doing the best that we could or whatever. And it's like, okay, but it wasn't good enough. And that sucks. That sucks for you as a parent. That sucks for me as the kid that had to deal with it. But like moving forward, we're both adults and we're both seeing and recognizing that that hurt me. So let's like not do that anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there is this weird shift, and and I can't remember if we talked about this on the show or not, um, but this idea of when you're a kid, you look at every single adult as an authority. Uh, you're the ones who write the textbooks. You're the one who are you're who are on the news telling us facts. Like 
you are the ones that my kid eyes look at and say, you know, basically everything and, and are relatively infallible. And then you grow up and you realize there isn't this, and this is again, maybe a little bit of the catalyst of the tagline of the show is that there's, there's not a single point you become an adult. There's not a single point you become all knowing and all wise or whatever. So when you're a kid and you're looking at your parents, you may be looking at a snapshot of them where they're in their private. When I shut the door and the kids are asleep, those parents, when you're as a kid looking at them are saying, we don't know what the fuck we're doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so there is this point where then now you're both adults. So who is the more senior adult? Because is the parents because they have more years uh, on this earth? Is it more equal because you both now have earned the equal badge, like the the star badge that says parent or parent or adult on it or whatever? Yeah. Um, Is there, you know what I mean? Or is there like a, a, a weighted curve because we are we are the adults now. Um, with kids in this society, you are the, you know, the old school adults who have already, there's this weird dynamic you have to kind of mentally work out of like, yes, I'm your kid, but I'm not your child anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that we, I think our generation and maybe every generation says this, but I'm a, I'm a do it. I think our generation has had to grow up really fast. Like we had all of these big things happen to us right out of high school we came out of high school and the fucking housing market collapsed you know like yeah. we and now we trace been, it back to 9-11 and now we've been battling with this like well yeah 9-11 happens and then we're in, at war for decades and then like the housing market crashes and then we all are fucking strapped with crazy uh student loan debt and then uh fucking inflation makes everything well and then COVID and then inflation and it's like Mm. now nobody can fucking afford anything and it's like we've had to grow up so fast and mature really fast to like just be able to continue to fucking survive um and then we also have access to the internet so we have access to millions and millions of other people's lives and experiences so we're (laughs) seeing that everybody's struggling and um, a lot of people go to therapy now and are getting professional help. And that's not a thing that is like <coughs> looked down on in the way that it was when our parents were well, you say that. in sorry their parenting to, era. Sorry to pause you. You say that we see everybody struggling, but with the, with the internet, I think that's part of what is uh, psychologically confusing for the, the mass of humans now is we we've already talked about this. We see people's like best versions of themselves online. Typically, typically sometimes. Uh, yeah, I guess if, you, if you're a I sleuth think... like you, you... No. <laughs> I'm well, listen. Um, but in, in general, I'm, I'm maybe coming out at this angle where we see someone and we know maybe they have their struggles, yeah. but we're seeing it through the lens of a curated feed. And so, I know I've touched on before. I think we have our like our real lives and yeah. then we have our digital avatar lives. Yeah. And reconciling that those are two different lives versus uh, it's to me, it's not a digital extension of myself. It is a digital representation of my. If, does that make sense? Like, sorry. Yes. Gonna- <laughs> yes. No, I look at um, the different social media platforms. Um 
in very different ways as far as how they represent people. Like I always think that uh, typically Facebook is a place where people are either like um, oversharing in their like drama. Like I look at Facebook as this like for the most part, it's a very like dramatic space. That's where like you see people like really getting into arguments with each other in the same way that I think Twitter is a very like oh, yeah, yeah, drama yeah. based Listen, thing. Listen, if you go to the comments of basically anywhere, that's where you can see people's pain coming out in yeah, words. Absolutely. Bro. No, I'm talking Yikes. about more like our feeds, our, our, but our like, profiles, our but images. But yes, I yeah. think that I think Instagram is very much this polished, bright, everybody is seeing the very best things about me and yeah. nothing else. And then I think like when TikTok came through, I'm I'm like a big supporter of TikTok. And I know that it started with like silly dance videos and whatever. But I do feel like on TikTok, more and more people are being very real about themselves. It is still a polished version because you're able to go through and like, you sure. know, edit something you said or make yourself look good if you want to while you're having these big moments or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a place where you get to <laughs> reflect on what you've said before you put it out to everybody whereas like real life i'm gonna say something and then i might realize later like oh fuck i shouldn't Mm. have said that Mm -hmm. but i do think that tiktok has kind of created this space where people are being a little Mm -hmm. bit more vulnerable and more open and real um and i think that that is where the amount of things that i have like mentally unpacked Mm. from watching other people's tiktoks specifically is pretty crazy yeah And even things that I've brought up to you um, Mm. when it comes to like parenting or like division of labor in the house and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, originally we maybe thought that this was totally fine and normal, but in reality, like maybe it's a little unfair in the way that like we're moving through the home or whatever. Yeah. So I think that like TikTok has become this place of like, you can really learn things. Mm -hmm. You can really learn to be more introspective. And that's a tool that we have that we can use to help with parenting our kids or with processing our trauma or whatever that our parents didn't have that tool. Um, And there's a lot of people online that are very open about going through therapy and talking through that stuff in the way that that was like very um, like like taboo therapy was like an embarrassing thing to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I think that like, while I can give a little bit of, grace on the idea that like maybe our parents thought that this was normal you know the way that they would talk to us was normal because maybe that's how they were talked to or that's how their friends talked to their kids too but it's like in the scope of things I still don't know how you didn't feel like icky when you would say that Um, but I think too that's really hard now for our parents because whenever we try to talk to them about things and I think that we are like more knowledgeable in the means of being introspective about why we're doing what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I do think that we're a little farther along than maybe they were in their thirties because we live in a very different world and we have a lot more information to gather and learn from. And they didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that is really difficult for them to then see us on any sort of level playing ground or even heaven forbid, we might know a little bit more about a certain thing than they did because they didn't have access to those tools then. Sure. And so I think that that's where like we can have kind of this struggle now. I know I've had it with my parents where it's like, Hey, um, I don't need you to parent me in the way that you used to parent me anymore. I don't like that. You're not going to talk to me that way. I'm not going to do that with you. 
anymore. I still would like to be in your life and I would like for you to be in my life and I want to be able to go for you, go to you Mm. for advice, but I don't need you to parent me anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that sometimes that is really hard to realize that like I, as a 34 year old do not want to be parented by the parents I had at 15. I don't want those parents anymore. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's a hard thing to figure out on like what that even means for them and what they need to give as parents. But sometimes it feels like there is an immediate like uh, unwillingness to figure out what that is. Uh, Yeah, I, I can... I'm talking about my parents. Your relationship no, with your I'm, parents. I'm is trying like to. I'm totally trying to like more like think of it as vague, like because I, I almost <laughs> thought it was like our parents is in like generational, like anybody who's listening, like anybody who has an issue with the being a child, growing up, not being a child, and you know, dealing with parents. Um, I will say, at least from my perspective, um, you know, since we've gone down this journey, I feel like it's the it's easier to tackle certain issues um as we go and i just think it will it will continue to do that over the next so long and then we'll look back and say yeah that was not easy to come to this new world this new arrangement but now that we're here i'm glad we took those difficult steps you know communication boundaries all those things yeah um yeah I was thinking, sorry to just get back off track, back to the our letter. There was a point where he said um, he was feeling, it was like basically being in those dark thoughts, but not knowing why you can't let yourself not feel that. Like, why do I continue to f- think these bad thoughts? Like, why, why am I just yeah. swallowing in my, my darkness right now? Yeah. And I, I read something a few years back, but it was it was about this idea of when you go through trauma and you grow up and, you know, to anyone else, a traumatic uh, home life. Yeah. There is a part of that that, yes, it sucks. Yes, it's bad. But you grow up and you realize sorry, that's my phone. You realize there's a part of this that is still comforting and um, like I'm trying to explain it right the being in in a a situation that you've been in before I guess yeah is a comforting feeling whether or not even if, if it's a bad situation or a bad mental state yeah. It's a state I've been in before, so there's something to I can predict. Mm-hmm. And it and it or same thing with like um uh self-sabotage. Yeah. Where people like they constantly self-sabotage their life because there is this psychological sense of control. Uh-huh. So anyway, I was just thinking about that that aspect of like, why do I keep having these bad thoughts? Yeah. Why can't I think good thoughts? And it's like, well, I, and I don't know if this is actually true but it is, it is something that that i had read before where it's like there, there is a comfort in your in having your bad thoughts because it is a pattern that your brain can say 
yeah, this is a pattern. I've been through this before and it's predictable. Yeah. Well, and I, I wanted to pull up if I could find it quickly. Yeah. Um, on that same idea, I've shared this already before, but I'm going to share it again. Okay. That Sarah sent me um, at one point. Uh, and it's from Dr. Glenn Patrick Doyle. It says, oh. ironically, when we start to get better, we also often get sad because we start to realize how much we missed out on, how badly certain people failed us, what the younger version of us actually deserved. Mm. Healing involves healthy grieving, no way around it. Yeah. I think in that same token, healing is incredibly uncomfortable. There are a yeah, lot dude. of moments where I am so uncomfortable like last week and the week that I in the week of me reacting to that on my own. Yeah. Uh it, it was uncomfortable, mm -hmm. you know? So I can absolutely and I hope that you give yourself some grace on this idea of why can't I fucking get out of this? It's like well because the alternative is also really hard. It's yeah. hard both ways. And I hope that once you feel like you have some support, you're able to to go the hard route of healing or, or trying to work through those things, but also like understand that where you're at is where you're at and you don't have to like beat yourself up about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there was another thing I wanted to say on that and I can't remember what it was, but, but yeah, I just, um, man, I just feel so, I hope again, he sent this email, um, a couple months ago now. It was one of the first ones that we got. And, uh, Maybe I'll check whenever we get off of here if he is in the Facebook group or if I can find him on Facebook and try to just yeah, invite we'll him out. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I just want people to feel like they have a space to talk to people yeah. about it. Um, Because, man, I just I've been in that place, too. And I think, um, you know, when I felt really, really sad and I was like, why the fuck can I not just yeah decide to not feel this way anymore uh the medicine is is working you know outside of the shit that i had last week yeah uh i do feel better and um i think that sometimes especially with the way that our fucking country is set up uh access to medical professionals can be can feel um, unattainable for some people because if you Absolutely. don't have insurance, it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And fuck, even if you have insurance, the insurance is really expensive. <laughs> um, so this is not an ad at all, but I got my medicine through hers mm -hmm. because for me going to, I don't have a primary care physician here uh, because I hate going to the doctor. Mm -hmm. um, it is incredibly uncomfortable for me. Um, I think for a long time I avoided it because I knew that I was in a bigger body and I knew that a lot of times mm -hmm. uh, people in bigger bodies, period, but also women in bigger bodies, everything always gets put on your overweight. Yeah. Um, so I just didn't want to hear that. You know, I fucking mm -hmm. know. I don't want to hear it. Ugh. But um, but also now having the kids and you work and all this, it's like and not having family around. It's hard to make appointments that I can go to alone. Yeah. Um, and so with hers i want to be really transparent about it because i don't want people to uh think it's going to cost a lot of money um i did like the you know the questionnaire thing that kind of gauges where you're at and then based on that it says hey we think that they're going to prescribe this for you yeah. but wait until you hear from 
your doctor, your MP, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then I get like a thing from uh, like in a chat uh, from I think the first one I got was from an NP. And they're like, hey, we're actually going to put you on this. We think that this is going to be the right thing for you. How do you feel about that? Mm -hmm. Is that good? I asked a couple of questions. They got back to me. Yeah. Um, and then they mailed me a three-month supply of this medicine straight to my house. Mm -hmm. Easy peasy. Got it within like probably a week of initially sending everything off. And uh, the entire thing cost me $140. And I know $140 is $140, yeah. but if you don't have insurance, a doctor's visit is going to cost more than that. Mm -hmm. So this is includes the everything that you get from hers and the contact. I mean, I can uh, message off um, like a DM to my mm -hmm. NP anytime. Uh, they have given me a different doctor each time I've reached out, but I don't fucking <laughs> care. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't care. Um. But yeah, and they, so they charged me $140 every three months to have access to that care mm -hmm. and access to the meds that then get shipped to my house. So it's like, it felt like the easiest thing for me to do that was affordable for us mm -hmm. um, and didn't require me having to go into a doctor's office and talk yeah. to somebody and potentially feel even like, you know, I'm talking to you because you're my person, but do I want to go talk to a doctor face to face about all the shitty things I'm feeling. Yeah. I know I'm telling to everybody else, but I'm not looking at y'all in the face while I'm fucking <laughs> crying and saying this shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I would highly recommend it. They obviously have the, the hymns version of hers. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it's the same cost as the hers is. Um, and you can get, you can fix your bald patch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, that's a one-stop shop. All right. Um, but yeah, so I think that, for, for this guy or for anybody that also yeah. just feels like, you know, especially if you have like medical diagnoses, like you can go to apps like this and say that to these people and they can get you the meds that yeah. you might need for a more affordable or a more convenient yeah. or even just like a more, um, I don't want to say anonymous, but it's like you don't have to have that face to face sure, interaction if sure. you don't want it or if you're not comfortable with it. Yeah. I would highly recommend it. I'm so glad that you because, were able to yeah because it is like relative to everything else out there as far as like uh what your options are it is a relatively affordable option yeah i mean uh because and i'll say this just because i'm trying to normalize it so i'll take every opportunity to speak on it yeah uh my ketamine therapy like kate has found some success so far with hers i do have uh i'm bad about taking them admittedly but i i am on some antidepressants and anti-anxiety stuff but for me i know i've said it before but the my big thing was ketamine therapy but my my asterisk with that is i know it's not cheap no it was pretty and, expensive and i don't yeah. i don't know if, if there's anywhere that covers it under insurance yet no the place that we went to no insurance covers yeah. it like they don't even accept that idea yeah. and again for full transparency so people understand yes that initial investment that you have to do because you have to have these six appointments is like a little boot camp for over what three weeks yeah, or something like that. And each session cost a little over four hundred bucks. Yeah. So it was a very large investment for mm -hmm. us. I'm really thankful that we were in a place that we could like move some money around to be mm -hmm. able to do it because it did make such a big change mm -hmm. for you. 
Um, but, but you only have to go a few times a year. Yeah. To, I'm down to now. I would feel comfortable with three yeah in a year and it is a little bit cheaper once you've done that initial yeah six weeks i think that now every time you go it's like maybe between i think it's between 275 or 350 it's yeah, like one or the there. other yeah which is still expensive yeah. but for a treatment that works for you and will last you months four or five six months i know it's different for everybody but uh yeah, I have. I have. I booked another one, and I'll be very transparent because I think I also said this last time I mentioned ketamine. Um, I think I've been lying to myself, uh, but I've been a little scared to I, go back. Yeah. Um, but I finally was like, nope. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna overcome the fear because mm -hmm. this has been the first time like I've actually been scared to go back because I told my story last time about, you know, my dose is pretty high, and there's yeah. a dissociation with ketamine and. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I thought I thought I was dying. Like I thought I legitimately was going through the process of becoming nothing. Yeah, and it was very scary. Mm -hmm. um, as of right now, I'm chalking that up as to just like I was in, I was in a very vulnerable state. Dude, that we day. went into that like mm -hmm. real stressed about mm -hmm. a lot of stuff. But I have booked my another appointment. I did, what like it's been four or five months probably something yeah. like that. Um, I've got another one coming up in a couple weeks, so. I'll let everybody know how that goes yeah. on that one. Um, but for me, it really truly is. I wouldn't be mentioning it again because I know it is not a cheap thing. I wouldn't be mentioning it if I didn't, A, want to continue to normalize it so that within the next five years, it does become something that insurance uh, will cover. It does become more readily available. There's more clinics that will pop up, all that good stuff, because yeah. I truly, truly believe and there's science behind it that you can easily go Google that the rejuvenation uh, properties of, of this drug is just, it's like, it really is like magic. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, it's like pouring magic juice on your brain and it just, just blooms up and you feel the, the fog lifts and, and it's not like, um, again, the actual session for me is about an hour and a half an hour trip and you know 15 20 minutes on either side to come down i yeah. do walk out of there like a baby deer yeah, you, you know do. just like whoa um <laughs> you come down off of it usually within an hour i'm fine um but the lasting effects of how kind of light it makes you feel and how easy your thoughts flow and how uh less you get tripped up on your work all that stuff yeah for me, it lasts months yeah. and then I slowly will start to feel it fade. And then I'll say to you, I got to go get a, I, I, sh I should get an appointment yeah. set up. So yeah, a little nervous, but um, I've actually never been nervous going in until this, this one experience, because it really is a, it's just such a euphoric dreamlike angelic state. Tried to describe it here. Actually, if anybody has heard of the Las Vegas sphere, you, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, the yeah. Giant the giant new. new venue that has mm -hmm. like, it's like a $6 billion, something crazy. It's insane. It's yeah. insane. But there's some U2 concert footage where they're inside. And there was this one scene where it's like the dome appeared to be this room, but then it just got like. You'll have to share it. Yeah. We'll share it on socials when this episode drops. It's so just the way for me, you can be in a room that is, you know, eight by eight. 
and then you start to trip and then you literally see these walls go from 10 foot tall walls to like a thousand foot tall wall. yeah. and you feel like you're in this massive room yeah and um just the way space moves um i don't know i i don't want to get too lost in the in the weeds yeah. trying to describe how fun <laughs> it is but um it's it's done wonders for me yeah and i'm actually in a state now again even admittedly not doing well on taking my pills every day yeah i still feel like i'm in the overall day-to-day week-to-week best state i've been in yeah consistently in year i mean years yeah so and I know there's nice. other factors that contribute to that too, but I will say a large chunk of that pie has been my my ketamine journey for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think it is nice too that it's um it's one of those things where it's like you can feel when you're ready for the next one. It's not like a yeah, it's not like a pill you're supposed to take every day and you know you can't really tell if it's working or it's not working, you know, you're just doing it day after day. But, but like with this, it really is a thing of like hey, I'm starting to have a hard time getting over this feeling again. So like, yep. I think it's about time. You feel it start to creep back in. Yeah. Almost like a similar feeling of like, yeah, if you've ever had seasonal depression, you kind of start to feel it creep in. It doesn't yeah. just, I don't, and maybe it does for other people, but for me anyway, it doesn't slam me in the face yeah. like just one day. It's like, hmm. And then, yeah. and then that hmm turns into hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, that, but yeah, if anybody has any questions, obviously not, not a, an expert on it, but yeah. I have had, uh, well, like 10 sessions now at this point, something like that. Something like that. So I've been through it a handful of times and I know, I know I've, um, I've said this before, but a good playlist is important. I yeah. actually need to, I want to get a new one going for a whole new experience this time. But yeah, if anybody's curious or you are going to, say hey i actually signed up i'm going to do this please reach out i'd love to like even just as someone who has done it i would love to get your experience as well so feel free to to hit me on the on the page dm email whatever because that is a a high curiosity and interest to me yeah yeah. yeah. And it, just a small asterisk on all of the prices that we mentioned. We live in Washington state yeah. for anybody who doesn't know that. I don't know. Uh, I have a friend that was thinking about ketamine and I think there was a clinic in Indianapolis, but she mm-hmm. talked about those sessions were like maybe quite a bit more than oh. what the sessions were in Washington, which is why she was considering coming out here and staying with us and doing yeah, them here totally, because it was cheaper. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, if you live in Washington, the prices we talked about for hers and for this is what it is. I don't know how that plays in other states, yeah. but I would assume it's at and, least with the hers stuff. I think it's probably similar. Yeah. I don't imagine. And that to it's your like, to your point, though, um, at least my experience, um, as far as like when you have to go into a doctor and they probe you about this and that and yada yada. Yeah, my experience was the least invasive I think I've ever had. Yeah. It was, I, I filled out a form online because you have to have either a doctor or an NP recommendation. Well, cool thing about this place is they have an NP on staff. They'll provide it. And so I literally <laughs> filled out a questionnaire and it took me 10 minutes. And then I think within two days they yeah. got back with me and they were like, Hey, not, not even a, Hey, we have more questions for you or anything. It, it was, was like, when qualify. do you, when do you want to sign up? Like when yeah. do you want your first session to be? Yeah. <laughs> and it was literally that easy. And 
Uh, I went in for my my first session. They asked a few questions. Yeah. But it was like within 15 or 20 minutes, I had a needle in my arm and I was in a dark room doing my first trip. So as far as like, yeah, feeling any sort of invasive probing, I I didn't feel that at all. And even when I go back, they'll, they'll, they'll give me a very basic, how you been doing, how you feel. And I'll just give them a quick little, uh, not feeling great on, you know, at night or whatever. Uh, but overall been feeling good. They'll be yeah. great, and then they'll get me started. There's not, there's, it's a very come and go type of thing. Yeah, at least and for I me. think, and I think you started that in June of last year, and then remember you had to have those six sessions right up, right up front within the first few weeks. Yeah. So then you've gone July through now, and you've gone three or four three times. Three or four times, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, no, He's I'm doing I'm, his job. Yeah, again, a little nervous, but uh, ultimately, there's also an excitement to get back and like, because every time I do, when when I walk out of there, that next couple days, I'm like, oh yeah, I should have come earlier. Yeah, I really like, I, I probably should have, um, because you do start to feel, yeah, just a little bit lighter. Yeah, and uh, those intrusive thoughts or dark thoughts, you just start to notice you have them. A little less frequently anyway. Yeah. Um, but you you physically feel lighter. Like when I walk out of there, I know I say you kind of have those like dough legs. Yeah. But for a while, you literally, I literally feel like I'm like 70 pounds, you know, yeah. this weird, like, <laughs> am I filled with helium? It's kind of cool. Yeah. But then, yeah, that translates also into like an emotional lightness, I would say as yeah. well. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Well. Feel good? Yeah, we can wrap this one up. Yeah, I heard the baby cry at one point, so I'm a little like... Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't stop because in in the back of my head, I was like, that sounds like a cry where he'll be back out in two minutes. Yeah. Because Oliver has the the directive to put him back to sleep. Well, and (laughs) you know, as Ollie's really been Ollie-in for me the last few days, like really just... Everything we say seems to be a discussion that I don't want to have. Yeah, let's ask that. That that is a piece of advice. <laughs> Any other parents who are clearly better at disciplining than no, oh my god, yeah. Something we've really, really been struggling with, Oliver. Truly, is this sense of yeah, everything is a discussion. There's always a tagline. Yeah. No matter what we say, and Oliver really likes to play the contrarian. We've yeah. been saying that a lot lately. It doesn't matter what position you and I hold. Yeah. Ollie has to have some sort of alternative position. Not yeah. even like we're wrong and they're right, but more like we have something and Ollie just has a little slight twist on it or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it could be something as dumb as like we were wanting to get Ollie. Ollie's been wanting to dabble in, in horror. And so we're trying to like do the proper step of like, not so scary to a little scary or whatever. And so we've done some other movies, but we did the original Halloween. Now, listen, we didn't do the Halloween movie just straight through. We did the right. Joe Bob Briggs uh, yeah. fear fest. So it's like, it's a little light, more lighthearted and more breaks and whatnot. And Ollie, fuck it, they called it, they, he, Ollie called it corny. That yeah. Pissed me man, off. <laughs> Ollie was hating on that movie the whole time and after the whole uh, time. Um. So yeah help yeah Fuck. yeah if, if you I feel have like... a kid that that 
it just always has something to say. What are what are you doing? Yeah, because we we've tried really hard to not parent in the way of like we don't do shut up. You know, like I have to be really pushed to a point of like, yo, stop talking to me, <laughs> like. Yeah. Um, because I don't like that. I, I think it's really rude to tell people to shut up. I don't like it. I don't even like doing it with my kids. Um, so we try not to go that route. We also typically don't like the uh, because we said so. Yeah. We tried to avoid that for mm-hmm. a long time. It was like, we do I'll every now you, and again. I'll that give is you a, a quick explanation. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes it feels like when Ollie just wants to act like everything is a discussion. Like we're going to have a discussion about your bedtime every freaking night. Yeah. No. Nope. Nope, tonight yeah. you're. It's a no because I hey, said I gotta, so. I gotta I, run to Target real quick. Can I come? No, I gotta run out. Whoa, what? It's just like, yeah, like no. Not even a like. Oh, okay. It is a. We have to tell you ten times why. I just told you why. Yeah, you have to go to bed. You and know, honestly, some sometimes I say no, and I just say because I said on that aspect because it's like the answer is I do not want to be around you. <laughs> like you have driven me up Mad the today, wall. Yeah. You've pushed every button that I've had four different times. Sure. I do not want to be with you, (laughs) but I don't want to tell you that I don't want to be with you because that's mean. Okay. But it has just turned into, yeah, now Ollie thinks that everything is a discussion. Uh, Their opinion on literally everything matters and holds weight. And it has just become this thing where it's like a constant battle all the time. But to wrap it back around to what I was saying, though, Oliver is a really, really good older sibling. Yeah. Definitely does the sibling thing where you poke and you poke and you poke and you get like a big reaction out of the little one and then when you're like, counts, what? But when it counts, Ollie is so good with both of them. Mm-hmm. And the amount of times that I will take all of them to like a jump park or something yeah. uh, and I will have other parents come up to me. It's almost every single time we go. Another parent will come up to me and say like, man, your kid is such a good they always say big brother because they don't know any better and that it is what it is it's right fine. now. Yeah. Um, but man, like that's a, that's such a good big brother or they're so good with my kid. Cause Ollie will play with other little kids really well. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that is like, it's one of those things where as much as Ollie can just drive me freaking crazy sometimes <laughs> they've got a good little heart. Yeah. And as long as we can just kind of keep nurturing that and like yeah. shining light on that. Yeah. I think that Oliver will hopefully grow into a. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I look at them. <laughs> I look at the issues we have now as these are kid issues that yeah. a kid needs to learn how to get a hold on. Yeah. Once Ollie does, the annoying parts about things <laughs> they do will become assets, I think, later yeah. on in life. Yeah. For instance, we just today we went to uh, Ollie. <laughs> played uh what was it humpty dumpty detective who says it's detective detective humpty dumpty humpty sorry dumpty. sorry uh for the final acting class they yeah. had like a little showcase at the end of it and ollie it's funny because whenever they first handed out parts ollie was so pissed because they really wanted to be pinocchio and somebody else got pinocchio and now ollie's character only has like five lines but then it turns out that ollie had one of the main parts there were like two main characters yeah there's two main characters out of like these 15 or 15 kids ollie was one of them so it's like okay you you were the one who had i think the most lines yeah like you were 
preemptively complaining when you just hadn't seen the whole script yeah. yet. So I th- yeah, I say that to say I think Oliver will will turn into will be a performer on some level, whether that's stage, oh, yeah. music, television. That kid, that kid does not feel embarrassment. No. And the amount of times that that has been well, a thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> not in that aspect, but in other, yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, but the amount of times that we're like, Ollie, this what you're doing is not appropriate in this setting. And Ollie, it's like, well, yeah. everyone's looking at me, so clearly I'm doing something yeah. right. And it's like, no, my God. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, good good big sibling handling yeah. it up there. But <laughs> we should probably scurry on up. Yeah, so. okay. Well, you can say I need the goodbyes. To, I need to sniff before we start. Okay, well, I guess I'll say the goodbyes. You can do your sniff. Thank you for listening to this one and being here. Uh, we know they're not always the easiest uh, subject matters to listen to, but uh, yeah, th- thanks for being here. We appreciate uh, all that you guys share and letting us share with you. It's very therapeutic and cathartic. Yes. And we appreciate the nice things that you say to us after we've had really hard episodes <laughs> and we definitely are not ever intentionally ignoring you. And I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah if you are not in the Facebook group, um, so many good people in there. I highly recommend it. We are closing in on 600 members now, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. so cool and so exciting. And everybody has been so great. We have not had to remove a single person. So if you're looking for a good community, it's in there. They're ready. Um, If you have a story that you would like to write in, you can send that over to mylife at brokenyouthclub.com. Then we have our Patreon. We have the Patreon. If you're looking for bonus content, Uh, we have our first uh hangout session tomorrow i'm pretty excited to like get uh, well, to know everyone well if you're everyone. listening to this it'd be yesterday now uh yes <laughs> <laughs> so it went well i'm almost positive i'm almost certain everybody <laughs> loved it um but yeah and then we have like the the bonus episodes and yeah. all the things you can check out our patreon if you are interested um patreon.com slash broken youth club podcast yeah uh, another great way to support the show is to share an episode with somebody that you think could use it or listen to it and learn something or not feel so alone in whatever they're going through. Um, also, if you like the show, uh, if you would leave a five-star review, that would be so great on whatever uh, podcast player you use. Mm-hmm. If you don't like the show, uh, keep it pushing. Don't do that. Okay. Don't leave, <laughs> don't be mean. All right. Yeah. But yeah, um, we're so happy you're here. We're so thankful for you. And uh, yeah. Uh, I think that's it. You good? <laughs> yeah, we'll stumble out of this one. <laughs> Every time. Every single time we will never get better at this. Okay? Love you. Bye. All right. We'll see you. <laughs>